You're listening to the I Love You Keep Going podcast with George Haas. For more information, please visit our website at www.metagroup.org. That's www.metagroup.org. So welcome, everybody. This is I Love You Keep Going. It is March 24th, 2022 at 7.35 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. And what I thought I wanted to talk about uh, today was depth. Uh, depth is one of the things that uh, uh, is um, interesting in terms of uh, mentalizing. Um, people who have adverse experiences in early life or at, really at any point during their life, and they're able to work through them and to integrate the experience of them tend to have uh, a depth of experience that they can relate to uh, uh, people um, and situations. And people that don't have that don't tend to have that same level of depth. Um, one of the things about privilege is that it tends to afford people uh, uh, circumstances in life that um, are easy to manage or easier to manage. That's not to say that they're not challenging, but they're not the same uh, as somebody who has to overcome adverse circumstances. And, and at the same time, because there is no experience in that, uh, it lends to less depth. But uh, there's a description of what, what this uh, system is. And again, this is coming from the Listening Society, the Hansi Freinach book. Um, So this is really about subjective states. Uh, I think that this is an interesting uh, topic to relate to Buddhism because we we have uh, the experience of the sense of self uh, that is real and actual and, and, and actually is the author and the generator and the originator of uh, the intentions and actions that we take. And in uh, the process of meditating and exploring the origins of, uh, in the Theravada map anyway, of not self, we see that that solid, intrinsic, ongoing, continuous experience of self is not actually what's happening. Um, and what we begin to be understand is that uh, there's a lot of subjective states, states that arise in response to the conditions of the present moment, which are based on our conditioning. Uh, each of us carries with us a, 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 a map, or a, uh, I like sometimes use the, the term database of experiences that we've had. Um, and so if you look at this process of the capacity to sense, which is based in the, uh, the six senses in Buddhism, so the five senses that we have in the West, uh, touching, uh, um, seeing, hearing, tasting, smelling, and then uh, adding to that in Buddhism mind, the activity of where your attention is drawn, the hierarchy of uh, objects that you tend to focus on, and the collection of those uh, mind moments, which are then constructed into uh, conceptual reality from ultimate reality, ultimate reality being the pure sensing experience and conceptual be uh, reality being uh, the thing that we 
make it into or understand what's happening. Is that all making sense so far? So, in the lower states, we have, the first one is hell, and then the second one is horrific, and the third one is tortured, and the fourth one is tormented. And then as we move upward to medium states, we have very uneasy, uneasy, uncomfortable. Seven is somewhat uneasy, okay, full of small faults. Eight is satisfied well. Nine is good and lively. 10 is joyous, full of light, invigorated. And then we move into the high states, vast, grand, open, uh, 12, blissful, saintly, 13, enlightened, spiritual unity. Jake? Uh, could you just give us a little bit background description where that, uh, where that list is coming from and a bit of context for it? Um, maybe. Just in general, where did you just read it from? It's from um, the Listening Society. Uh, Mahasi Freineck is the uh, author of it. And it's discussing uh, the, the nature of depth and experience and the integration of experience. Um, okay. Relating to, uh, I guess one of the other dimensions would be this, so, so the adverse childhood experiences is another uh, map of this kind of thing. Um, but it really is talking uh, about subjective states or the, the, the experience uh, that you have of it uh, rather than the objective state. Uh, one of the things about the West now and, and, and the sort of colloquialization of, of trauma is that many things are considered traumatic, but that is less to do with the experience of what happens often and more the subjective experience of what happened. Uh, I know that in using the adult attachment interview, we have a, a fairly defined uh, and uh, a, a, a pretty high bar in terms of what actually is uh, traumatic. Um, but in um, colloquial conversation, many things that that don't even approach the level of, of difficulty uh, that would rate in an adult attachment interview as trauma are commonly expressed as traumatic or re-traumatizing. Or, um, and so um, really what I'm talking about is this experience of depth. What was the conditions of your childhood like? Uh, I think that in, you know, I had a fairly crappy childhood in that you might say um, that uh, in moments it was tortured and uh, often uh, tormented, but I wouldn't say even given the considerations that it was hellish. I did not grow up uh, on a garbage heap picking for, for survival, right? That would be more in line with what I would think would be hellish or horrific. I, I didn't grow up in a 
in a war, in a, in a, in a famine, in any of those circumstances where the whole society would be uh, in turmoil. Um, but it is possible in our, even in, in our uh, um, society to have those experiences. Uh, I live in Los Angeles and the homeless uh, situation here is um, just everywhere. There's nowhere you can go really where it isn't present. And it, it takes on a lot of different forms. For instance, I had a friend come from Europe and uh, walking the dog was, was a, a, um, an experience that uh, was very troubling for him, but it was pretty ordinary for me. The reason why it was so troubling is we lived down the block. I lived down the block from a liquor store and there's a lot, it serves a lot of street alcoholics and the debris that street alcoholics tend to leave behind them um, is, a, is a kind of, uh, it makes the neighborhood, particularly toward the uh, uh, end of the block where the, the liquor store is garbage strews. And it's a constant, constant uh, issue of unfinished meals and broken bottles and abandoned shopping carts and all of the rest of the stuff that accompanies that experience on the street. And coming from a European city, he, he, it was a shocking experience uh, for him that we would allow our fellow citizens to live like that it was a shocking experience and deeply troubling to him that we would be so indifferent to the suffering of other people um, because in in where he's he comes from this is it's not allowable it's it's ethically unacceptable to the general population to allow that and yet here it's ordinary and ubiquitous um <clears throat> What country was he from? The Netherlands. Okay. So when you begin to examine your conditioning, which is something that we do in, in the Buddhist practices uh, with the idea of being free of it, uh, you really do begin where you begin in terms of what that conditioning was like. So if I started in the lower states and I've been able to move upward through the middle states and I don't know, sometimes I think into the higher states. <laughs> that creates a, an experience of depth so that when I'm able to uh, relate to people, uh, any of those experiences are, are, are something that I can recognize and uh, relate to from a direct experience of it. I don't need to uh, imagine it really. But in tortured or horrific um, uh, phenomena, phenomenological reality breaks down in horrific and then in hell states, there's really no sense of uh, anything beyond immediate survival that exists in, in that realm. I don't really know that. I would have to try to imagine what that would be like in order to relate to it. But if you didn't have those lower states and you're really sort of somewhere in the um, 
middle of this somewhat an easy okay full of faults perhaps or satisfied good enough uh, it's very hard to imagine and to touch into the experiences of people who don't have that and and hard to consider in your formulation of the experience of self and world how th those experiences might be affecting and the higher up on the scale you tend to be the the greater level of privilege you have the less capacity you really have to imagine and i think one of the things that comes up over and over again in this tendency of our culture to go to war and we the the european war at the moment is very troubling because it's one of those existential threats the the the, the russian government has weapons that are actually capable of um, uh, eliminating life on our planet we have those weapons as well if we get into a conflagration between us uh, what restraint is it that we will use to prevent ourselves from doing it and depth would be a good thing to have in our leadership that they can actually imagine the consequences of using them rather than being limited to say uh, satisfied and well the experiences of their life so they don't imagine uh, th these lower more difficult states uh, that um, uh, they never found themselves in and so they can't imagine we i often have that sense that we have these very privileged very powerful people who are committing uh, people to war who are coming from poor environments less opportunity that have little choice in the matter of where they can go one of the things about the u.s having a volunteer army is that uh, really the, the main source of uh, uh, soldiers in our society come from uh, the, the parts of our society where there's almost no opportunity for other things and so the the military looks good i think that that's the central lesson that was learned from vietnam which was you can't have a draft because if you have a draft and you pull in the middle class upper middle class and the the wealthy people into the draft they'll object and they have the power to prevent the the these uh, incursions from arising they they don't want it they don't want their children slaughtered um, and they they have power to redirect it away from that and so the way out of that of course is to abandon the draft so that the burden of it falls on um, uh, a, 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 a fragment of society rather than the whole thing george yeah yeah i just typed in the chat i wasn't sure if you were using the word death or depth for the nature of depth the second d-e-p-t-h okay i'm still trying to make the connection between all this but thank you <laughs> so mm, go ahead i was going to ask if sometimes you see a disconnect in the world of dharma practice where people don't take account for the level of suffering that's they're actually experiencing or they have experienced in the past and 
are substituting the recognition of the, the levels of pain that they have or the levels of pain that are in the world for a sort of um, a, a, a goal that's not here and now. For instance, someone has a traumatic childhood or a painful early conditioning experience, and then they're taught that they should aspire towards the Brahma Viharas. And right. is there a sort, is there, is there, a, I'm just asking like, what about this gap? There's this big gap of human experience in between suffering and like the total, you know, godlike state of transcendence of suffering. And I was just wondering if you could say something about bridging that in a more realistic and humanizing way. I think that uh, in terms of the West, or at least in, in this country, that uh, one of the things that happens is that people who do well enough, people who are sort of in the middle states of very uneasy, uneasy, but an uncomfortable, somewhat uneasy, okay, satisfied, well, good, lively, joyous, full of light, invigorated, um, they don't come to the Dharma so much because they're actually able to function well enough in the conditions of our society uh, and engage in the competitions and the rewards that come from those competitions well enough that they remain in that place of satisfaction. So then what you have, uh, and maybe the mindfulness uh, movement will change that a little bit uh, as uh, the, the lighter forms of uh, practice um, enter into the mainstream is what you have are people at the low end of functioning uh, that come really out of these lower states that are looking for a way to get into the activity of the main uh, way of living in, in, in our world. Um, so what I see in, in them is mostly they want to get their functioning up so they're good enough to enter into the competition, which is one side of it. Well, the, I, I want to I interject something, though. What? Sorry to interrupt, that if these people, how would they have the mentalizing to think that what they want is to be in the mainstream of society when if they're suffering and they don't have mentalizing and they hear this teaching about the transcendence of all forms of suffering, wouldn't they just latch on to that and think, okay, I'm going from suffering to Nibbana or I'm going from suffering into this transcendent practice. I don't think they would necessarily have the insight to realize that there's this whole middle path in between, which is competing in the human world. Oh. And that's what they, they need to get into in order to stabilize their, their life enough to develop those higher states. My sense of that is that they don't think that it's possible for them, that the higher states aren't available to them. And they just want to come out of suffering enough so that it's not terrible. It's oh, not. Okay horrific i think that makes sense but what doesn't the piece that doesn't go together is yeah that's what they want and that's what they want to go after but they don't have the language to uh, say that exactly and what ends up happening is people use the rhetoric of buddhist teaching which is really about it's really about transcendence and about liberation and they say that they're into that, but they're not, it's not really about that. 
it's kind of well, like church you know it's like people go to church to say they so you know, that sort what, of thing the way that i sort of see it is on the other end of that spectrum is people who do very well in the culture they they compete very well in the culture they get the rewards of the culture and those rewards actually don't end up being satisfying and so they move into the practice in order to and they're more focused on the transcend transcendent side of practice that they're actually going to find the meaning that they're lacking from the 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 uh, uh, achievements that and, and the goal uh, reaching that has been relatively easy for them but because they don't actually have depth they can't actually relate to the suffering experience of the people at the other end and so they often find themselves because they function so well moving into the positions of the the teachers uh, of the dharma and so what they offer to the people that are suffering so greatly is this idea of transcendence which is what they're interested in and attempting to do but because they have so little depth of experience they can't actually imagine or relate to the the depth of suffering that the other end of the spectrum are in and so they offer something that actually doesn't really help uh, that, that that totally makes sense and that's what i've observed too but then there's this part of <clears throat> they've moved into the dharma through their competence in competing and seeking rewards and they've gotten the rewards they want then they think dharma is going to be the next venue for them to compete and get rewards and they don't have the depth to understand dharma is not about competing and getting rewards it's that really really not <laughs> okay or at least that's often my experience of it okay um the um so really what we're talking about here is you know, and I, I don't want to fault somebody who uh, the circumstances uh, of their birth would be good enough or even better than good enough. That's awesome. Uh, um, but uh, some recognition that people's experiences are different and some recognition that your uh, capacity to generate the experience of conceptual reality is really based on that. And that the idea then is to open up and consider the possibilities of people that aren't there. Uh, of course, uh, wherever you are, if you don't open up and really integrate the experience of that and see it for what it is, you're unable to uh, integrate it and, and resolve the limitations that come from it. So if you move up from the lower states through the middle states, and this practice is really good uh, for that. Uh, and, and this un the understanding of uh, uh, the nature of the human condition, all of those things that aid that uh, integration of it. Uh, if you have the, the, the natural, or you have the, the origins that uh, have the potential for this sense of depth, the the more that you can get through it and the more that you uh, are able to then uh, assist other people who also will need this it, uh, it can be very useful i think it's something that we should really attempt to support in our in our uh, uh, dharma communities 
I do also think that we should be engaged in attempting to change the circumstances of society so that this isn't the thing that keeps happening to people. How is it in the US, the, uh, one of the richest and most powerful countries in the world that we uh, allow the homeless situation to be the way that it is? How is it that we allow that? What uh, ethical failings uh, do we uh, embrace that this, this is even sensical? And it isn't about money because it costs more to do this than it would to house people. Uh, and it's a multiple, it's, uh, I don't know what it is. Sometimes, depending on who you read, it could be $4 is spent keeping people homeless in tents on the street for every dollar that we could spend if we housed people. Uh, it's the same with our, our healthcare system. We spend, you know, depending on who you read, four to eight dollars for every dollar of care that other advanced societies pay. Um, because, and, and the rubric is that we're free then to choose, but are we really free to choose? <laughs> if you have to spend eight dollars for every dollar of care, uh, who's free to choose that? Uh, with the, the level of inequality in our culture. Um, so, so, uh, so I was just gonna, I was just gonna say. So, are we like just an inherently sadistic society? <laughs> I mean, this is what we're into. <laughs> I mean, it comes across in humor and stuff if you see on the, what's published. And um, that's a, it's a it's an interesting question. I think that. Um, One of the things that, at least in, that's so different about uh, U.S. society and, and other societies is that we don't require uh, our media to be truthful. We did, but then Reagan changed that. And since that time, uh, the news really doesn't have to be truthful. Uh, they can say whatever they want. It used to be that you could express that, but it had to be expressed as an opinion, not as a, a news fact. Uh, but you couldn't do that in Canada. Uh, you couldn't, you can't do that in most places in Europe. You can do it in uh, England, and they have the same problem of, of uh, disinformation that we have here. Um, if nothing is nothing in the media is true necessarily how do you know if any of it is true is it's a, it's really undermines that um, if you don't have any depth in terms of your own experience and things have always come to you in a, in a relative ease uh, then it's very hard to make sense of some people just not having the relative ease to do that so it's a that's the idea around privilege this has always come easy for me. I've always had those opportunities, which means that those opportunities exist for everyone. And that if you don't take those opportunities, it's on you because you haven't taken them. And there's no integration of the, the, the uh, level of privilege and there's no integration in 
that it's not universally available. There's no understanding that uh, you uh, uh, might have entirely different circumstances than someone else. I have a question. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was wondering when you were speaking about the homeless people in LA and then the Dharma teachings and Dharma places of LA is, or, you know, in general, um, have you noticed any sort of symbiotic relationship or codependence on where the people who are suffering at the homeless level are reaching out or wanting to go to the Dharma centers and the Dharma centers in reverse are wanting to reach out to the homeless people? Does that relationship exist or are they too far separated? Um, it depends on 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 the community, I would think. Uh, and also, um, what actually is being offered, what is in that process. Um, when I, when I initially began teaching classes, one of the things that was apparent uh, was the the conflict between the two ends of the spectrum that tend mm -hmm. to be drawn. Uh, and just as an example, in terms of pacing, um, the people that don't function very well need a very slow pace. They need to go over the same uh, lesson materials multiple times to take it in, uh, and they the 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 they need to be able to drop out and return, uh, and so the the length of time and the amount of effort that that it takes to teach them something is is uh, huge. On the the uh, upper end of the spectrum, where they're all high functioning and they 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 do really well, they want to go really fast and they get it and they can understand it and they can put into practice the techniques so that the pace that they need to go in, in comparison to the pace that the, the lower end of the spectrum can go is, is incompatible in that way. Mm. The, if you go at a pace that's in line with the people who function really well, the people who don't function well can't keep up mm. and they drop out as a result of that. If you slow down the pace, so that it goes at the speed of the low end of the functions. It's so it's frustrating, frustrating and angry making for the people who function well. And so you begin to uh, see the, the culture naturally cleave into these two groups. The, the, so that in the groups of people that function really well and have uh, done well in the world, they have a lot of resources, and so the, the Dharma centers that offer uh, curriculums that are uh, uh, organized for that group tend to be very well supported. And the group of people that don't function well and come and go and are unreliable uh, and don't really have much in the way of resources, there's very little resources available for them even to open or support a Dharma center. So that's, that's what I notice happening. 
Hmm. The the upper end of the of the of the spectrum, uh, because the sense of depth is often limited, uh, they say, "Here's the offering. It will even you know, make it free for you." Um, but you don't come. You don't. You don't seem to understand what we're teaching, which we readily understand, and it, it makes sense to us but because of the lack of depth of understanding what actually that suffering means in terms of the whole structure of uh, somebody's ability to be able to show up and take in the information that doesn't really resonate very well um and without that sense of depth the compassion that would be necessary in order to stay there and go slowly uh at this the speed that you need to go in order for somebody to be able to take it in and doesn't arise and so you can't do it uh, so that's what i think is actually happening and it, uh, um, so how do we how do we uh, in some way balance that um, i don't know I, I think of mother Teresa and other groups that their whole focus is on the marginalized populations. That's true. But also, um, Mother Teresa was a relentless fundraiser. Her mm -hmm. activity was not so much serving the poor, but uh, making uh, the government, making people who had resources provide the resources that they needed. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, uh, we we perhaps have that model here. Uh, there's um, often um, um, the way that it often works here is that in Dharma centers, the 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 senior teachers and senior administrators make a living wage, and everybody else has to volunteer their labor to run the centers. The centers themselves are not set up in an equitable way. Uh, even um, and 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 there is very little support for this uh, from uh, the government. So you really do have to uh, figure that this is one of the great conundrums I think of Western Dharma is figuring out how you can make uh, the Dharma available in an equitable way. Uh, and also that you you somebody actually focuses on offering it to um, people that uh, don't function very well. One of the reasons we at Metagroup we focus so much on the attachment stuff is because that's a way in on trying to teach people how to function better so that they can get the basis of the basic level of mentalizing and functionality that they would need then to take on the practices of the Dharma, which maybe uh, without that then becoming simply ritualistic rather than really uh, insight oriented mm -hmm. so that's our thing um, one of the things about actually looking at the nature of your conditioning and the and the nature of the 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 way that you create the ex, your subjective experiences and having some kind of framework 
what, why I like these lists is because it creates a framework of evaluation that you can use to examine what actually happened to you. You, just, you know, just if we put it in attachment terms, dismissing people tend to minimize negative impacts and they tend to push themselves up on the list without any actual evidence and uh, disorganizer uh, people or tend to uh, uh, be stuck in the lower ends of the, the list without being able to mentalize themselves into a more ease. Um, preoccupied people uh, uh, tend to uh, lose track of what what their own what what's meaningful to them and uh, ta latch on to other people's meaningfulness. Um, and so, uh, anyway, I think it's one of the great puzzles of Western Dharma is how we're going to solve this, uh, and it also. Uh, how are you going to solve uh, the uh, the this sort of runaway system we have? That's that's um, you know we have uh, we have this these existential threats which are quite interesting. We have nuclear war as an existential threat. It's happening right now in a big way. We have unconstrained computer systems and tech that's also. Uh, uh, capable of really undermining everything. We have climate change all happening now, which has a tendency to keep people from engaging in any of this because it's too scary, it's too overwhelming. We feel powerless to do anything about it. So how do we come into this place of, of being able to hold this the experience of the society in which we live and at the same time have some agency to uh, affect a, uh, a solution to these uh, situations, all of which, um, I, you know, one of the, the frustrating things for me really is there's wonderful solutions to all of this. We just can't engage them because the, 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 really the people who have power aren't interested in them. So uh, there is that whole focus on the very upper end of it and trying to raise consciousness there. And at the same time, we see the, the plight of ordinary people. Uh, Jake. <clears throat> okay, so I wanted to bring it back to something you said about 10 minutes ago that this is something I thought was important and I wanted to read it back and see if you could give some feedback on it. And it's the topic of integration. So we're talking about the different, I wanna bring attention to the difference between integration as the capacity to resolve the limits of past conditioning in terms of mentalizing and social functioning compared to uh, the capacity to experience a higher state of consciousness. So there's the, the capacity to experience a higher state of consciousness. And then there's a, but that's not integration, you're saying. Integration is the capacity to resolve the limits of past conditioning in terms of mentalizing and social functioning. Is that, am I getting this message right? Um, so what's coming to mind for me is it's a question of resolution uh, and seeing more and more clearly what's actually happening. 
in the beginning, everything seems, uh, conceptual reality seems solid and real. And there's no real perception that you've created it from uh, a conditioned response to the present moment. There's a sense of the self, which is continuous and ongoing. Uh, and there often is very little insight into how our way of creating self and world is actually contributing to the difficulties that we have. So I had a conversation today with somebody about it. Um, one of the things that they wanted to do, uh, they didn't do because they didn't think that it was available to them. But it was clearly available to them and offered to them. But their perception of it, of it was that that was not actually true, that what was actually true was that it wasn't available. I'm doing this in a blind way so that you can't figure out who I'm talking about. <laughs> but if they could change their perception that, yes, it, those things are actually available to them. So in the childhood experience, over and over again, they went to the caregiver to attempt to get their attachment needs met. And over and over again, their attachment needs were rejected. Uh, and that was so consistently true and every possible circumstance and effort and gesture that they could think of to do, they tried and none of them worked. So in their mind, in the way that they create the sense of self and world, those things are unavailable because I'm incapable of getting them. But they're not a child anymore. They're actually uh, a young person who's uh, in their 20s and the period of 20s is really about exploring what might be interesting that you want to to really go after and in, in depth into uh, and without any investigation uh, the conclusion is that's not for me that's that's not going to be something that i can do and so we begin this process of actually seeing into the nature of how reality is formed in that moment where you perceive it as not available, even though it is. Is that making sense? You still have to go do it, which is different than uh, self-rejecting because you can't imagine that being something that was available for you. And then to begin to see how, how that operates, how the perceptual database, which is this, this uh, record of the experiences you have, uh, is what's used to inform the experience of the present moment, and then to begin to separate the actual conditions of the present moment and see them clearly, and not slip out of the experience of the present moment into the, the thinking response to the database, so that you actually are here present, uh, operating in the conditions that are now is that making sense but if you don't have the, the the capacity to see that and you don't have the capacity to integrate it often what happens in situations like that is that it's not available to you because you would have to touch into the terrible sadness of not having been able to get it in the past even though it was something that you longed for uh, and that you tried so hard to get, 
so that actually what you're doing in the present moment is not turning down the opportunity that's in front of you, but uh, avoiding uh, integrating the experience of the terrible sadness of not having been able to get it before. That's what I mean by this investigation. And then you embrace the terrible sadness of not having been get it before, which then frees you to be able to go for it now. It's a kind of bittersweet experience. Bitter that you didn't get it. <laughs> Sweet that you could get it now. And also what's bitter is, uh, particularly uh, if you're older, is you see how many times you didn't try to take it even though the offer was there. There's a deep bitterness around that. Is that all making sense? Anything left, Jake, that you need? You're, you're muted. Sorry. Yeah, that ma that makes sense to me. So you're saying the present moment experience, the way that you're setting it up for people is to mentalize the present moment experience and use it as a platform to propel oneself into secure functioning and exploring for meaning. And then at the very high end of exploring for meaning is this path of liberation. So Correct. you're mapping it together into this one kind of a kind of like a straight line and you're, right. you're, you're, you're encouraging people to have the capacity to walk through this whole straight line. Right. And all of the skills that you develop in walking through the early part of the path, you then can use for the later part of the path. So there's no, it's not, there's nothing wasted in that process. All of the insight skills, all of the intentional positivity skills that you develop uh, to go through the early part of the path are then immediately applicable to the later part of the path so then are, are you also kind of saying that to have aspirations towards the liberation path without the exercised capacities of secure functioning and exploring for meaning and so forth you're saying that's that's not a tenable option for people it's not a tenable path that is that basically something you're that's kind of like an original teaching of yours in a way. Well, I think that it, it makes it much harder and that you can e easily get sidetracked. And also we should say, of course, secure people don't need to do any of that, right? And that's the other thing. What they do need to do is, of course, attend to at least the development of, a, of uh, an understanding of uh, depth and the, the the limit the limits of death that their uh, positive conditioning might have imposed on them in comparison to somebody who didn't have that. But why don't we do a little bit of a little meditation? Would you like to go intentional positive or insight? <laughs> Any ideas? intentional positive or insight or the heart side or the insight side i'm actually oh. maybe i'll preempt it i'm i i am uh, in need of some heart practices tonight okay so let's do that 
So go ahead and settle into your uh, meta meditation posture. And uh, we'll focus on some uh, meta practice for uh, a close person. So go ahead and settle in, closing your eyes, scanning to the body, looking for any tension you might be holding, seeing if you can release it. So any questions or comments about the practice that we just did? So, in a sense, what we're doing is we're using level six mentalizing to encourage ourselves to move through the, the way you formulated levels one, two, three, etc. Right. Could you just review for us what three, four, and five are, and also our level one or pre-contemplative state? Could you just run through those again for us? So level one is basically the introduction to the uh, attachment experience, uh, the three pillar approach of attachment repair, uh, which is the ideal parent figure work, which is the remapping of the perceptual database. Uh, the second pillar is the mentalizing piece, which we use meditation for. And then the third piece is an understanding of the nature of collaborative relationships uh, contrasted to transactional relationships or role-based relationships. Um, in level two, it's a deeper dive into the second and third pillar, which is the mentalizing piece and the collaborative relationship piece with a, a, an introductory level or a basic skill development level of the ideal parent figure. So we want you to get, uh, we want you to be able to get through the preliminary uh, ideal parent figure uh, protocol and develop skill that you can use it. So that when you go on to level three, which is mainly focused on uh, earning security if you don't already have it, or overcoming, um, so just a bit, level three is about earning security if you don't have it. And level four is about uh, repairing the uh, uh, rigid views of relationships that might have uh, developed uh, over the course of uh, your early experience. So in level three, we work with ideal parent figure, but we also work with schemas or in Buddhism, they would call them fixed views to open up the rigidity of, of uh, both the expectation of self and actually what the world is willing to offer. Then in uh, level four, we focus on uh, developing uh, adult level functioning relationships that are actually in line with what you would like them to be. So there isn't a particular model for that that we want you to fit in two we want you to really examine who you are and what your relationship wants and needs are and then uh, to develop uh, to actually develop those relationships so that you have functioning relationships 
Uh, level five is um, a uh, an attachment focused couples work, so that you can actually have a place to bring your uh, person into uh, a refereed negotiation to attempt to make the dynamics of the relationship secure. And then level six is the advanced mentalizing. Kind of cool. Yeah, very cool. <laughs> good, good model. Claire? I, yeah, a question about the meta. Um, I, I find it very difficult to sustain to a certain, a single target. It almost like it attenuates very quickly, like the initial surge of that view or goodwill or whatever. Um, and if, if I kind of switch to different people or sometimes even like go abstract, like humanity in general, it renews it, but it's hard to concentrate. And the repetition itself makes it worse because it becomes like, I can do it rot. And then the rest of my mind is just going somewhere else to find something new. Is, right. it, is it okay to keep switching to stimulate that? Or I mean, it's, I suppose the sustaining and the concentration itself is the practice as right. well. So I can't be cheating. <laughs> well, I, I don't know that it's, uh, part of it is getting the mind to settle. So you right. might actually use, can you do a breath counting meditation to settle the mind as a concentration practice, which is pretty simple? Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's the prerequisite. Cause like I keep saying, like the one time I had it with you a long time ago, that felt really concrete and really sustained. It really sustained. There was a long preparation of concentration beforehand. Right. So yeah. I might do 10 or 15 minutes of just breath, one pointed breath counting to settle the mind and then go into it. Cause the it doesn't really matter that the mind is thinking uh, and that thoughts are happening. What what's not happening is that you're able to stay stay on the, the appointed object of meditation and not get pulled into the the scattered mind. So, right. so maybe you really want to be able to sustain it to a target. Right. And when you're exploring okay. views, of course, it doesn't matter what the mind is doing because you want to be able to look through the view and see how it's different with that view in place. So you could actually use all of that activity as a as a reference point for ensuring that you're holding the view. Um, but if it if you're getting constantly pulled into it, then then you're not able to do that. And it might be better to try and turn the volume down a little bit. Mm, okay. Good. All right, everybody, thank you for coming. Thank you for your practice. Um, we have uh, a virtual retreat coming up in April, and then also a level two starting in April. So if you're interested in either of those, take a look at them on the website. Um, we have, uh, I think we're going to do another level one in, uh, in May, starting in May, but we haven't confirmed it yet. And then in October, we have an actual in-person retreat in the Sierras coming up. So those are the things that are uh, bubbling. Um, any interest in any of them, just take a look at it. They're all up on the website. 
Um, I offer this class on a Donna basis. Donna is the Pali word for generosity. I offer the teaching freely, but I do hope that you'll make a donation if you uh, can help support me and also the work that Metagroup is doing. Uh, there's a link on the website. Any amount is appreciated. Thank you so much for coming, and we will see you soon, I hope, somewhere on the path. Bye now. Thank you.